Welcome to Three Strands Podcast. We hope you enjoy the sermon you're about to hear. At Three Strands, our mission is to create a culture of redemption where people are free to experience the truth and grace of Jesus Christ. All right, hey, if you're going to follow along with us, we're wrapping up this series today. We meet in Acts chapter 2, pretty much most of the morning, uh, Acts chapter 2. And uh, when you came in today, uh, hopefully you got a lifesaver. Everybody get a lifesaver when they came in? I got one. I ate it, though, so now I don't have any. Do you guys have the rest of those? I need one more because I ate the one I had. Did you already eat yours, Lily? No, it's okay. You can, it's okay. You can, you can eat. I just need to hold one up. So, All right, so when you came in today, hopefully you got a lifesaver. I actually prefer the peppermint ones, but these were like green winter mint or something. I can't remember what they're called, but spearmint. All right, yeah, spearmint, but I like the, the blue ones a little better, but they didn't have those this morning at the store. So, but, um, so I wanted everybody to have a lifesaver. You can eat that. You can take it with you as a souvenir from today. We spared no expense on you this morning, okay? But uh, I just was thinking about that this weekend, and maybe you're like me. Uh, I've shared this like, with some people in our church before, but like, I got some people in my life that are like life suckers. You got any of those in your life? Like life suckers, not life savers? You know what I'm talking about? And so it's like when you're around them, they suck life out of you. Does that make sense? Anybody got anybody like that? I got some people like that. They might be in the room, not even saying who they are, not even saying their names, not saying anybody's name up here, Emmanuel. I'm just saying I got some life suckers in my life, Okay. And so, uh, and they kind of like drain you. And, and, and if you're around them long enough, you leave and you're like, I didn't even do anything and I feel exhausted, right? Life suckers. And uh, when you come to church, there should be a little bit more of life saving than life sucking. Does that make sense? Am I allowed to say that? I don't know if I'm allowed to say that. Sometimes Stephanie yells at me for stuff like that. But that's how it's supposed to be when you come into a church. And so uh, when you come here, I hope you get a little bit more life saver than you get life sucker, okay? And so, uh, but I wanted to, I was thinking that this week, and I've got so many of those people in my life that just kind of like drain the energy out of me, and uh, I don't know if they all got together this week, but it just felt like they all sucked life out of me this week. I mean, I heard it all. It was like, literally, I, I kind of made a couple notes just so I wouldn't forget, but it was like, oh, here it is, but I got like this week. You're not a very good teacher. Uh, what was the um, you? Uh, what was the one I just heard yesterday? I didn't write that one down. Somebody just told me yesterday. Uh, I was like, they ha- I got hammered this week by people. And I was like, love you, you know. And then Raven was Raven in here? Oh, she's in the kids' class, or I don't know. But oh, is that right? Yeah. So then Raven like texted us yesterday and saved us. Like she put some life saving back into us. But I got like the, you're not a very good teacher. I can't remember. Somebody said something super hurtful like just two days ago. I can't remember what it was now. But that's good. You don't want to remember what they are, I guess, that they say. But I mean, I got like hammered this week. You know what I mean? Like our church isn't a real church. You're not a very good teacher. Uh, yeah, something about like I was parenting the wrong way. I got hammered like four times this week by people. And then Raven texted us yesterday and she was like, hey, is there anything I can do to serve you guys today? And I was like, <laughs> tapping my phone, see if I read it wrong, you know? emphasizing it. But, um, and, uh, but anyhow, so it's important to kind of like be surrounded with some life savers because the life suckers are going to be all around you. You can't get away from them. They're everywhere. They're everywhere. They're at your job. They're waiting for you at school. You're like, I got summer vacation. They'll be there in the fall I'm telling you. Like they'll be waiting for you when you get back. The neighbors, the people in your own house. 
They'll be like sucking life out of you, you know, and you'll want to like smack them around. But the law kind of frowns on that, you know, and so you're like, I need something else. So what you need is some life savers around you, okay? And when you come to church, that's what you should get. You should have some people here in this place that are like, I'm a believer just like you, and I want to save you. I want to like put some life-saving breath into you. That's what the church is supposed to be like. That's what we're going to look at. And, and I don't know, give me kind of show of a hand, show of hands here real quick. How many people have seen the new Super Mario movie yet? Have you seen that? Everybody's like, I don't know, I mean, little kids, I didn't go to that movie. Or, yeah. How many people have seen it more than once? More than once. Okay, okay. Us and Ethan are the only ones. <laughs> We've been twice, yeah. So, but it's a pretty good movie. If you want somewhere to take your kids or grandkids, pretty wholesome. Uh, nothing really bad in it, and so it's a pretty, pretty decent movie. And if you played Super Mario Brothers growing up, or if you're in that sweet spot of age bracket where, like, Nintendo first launched or came out, like, when you were a kid, then it's like you loved it, you know? So my kids are, like, all impressed that I'm, like, really good at Super Mario Brothers. But I let them know I got a lot of, like, investment in Super Mario Brothers in my life, okay? So I think I lost about two years of time growing up just playing Super Mario Brothers and trying to find all the hidden blocks and cheat codes and uh, all the stuff to do, you know? So, But um, anyhow, so we've been to that movie two times now. There's this little character in the movie. His name's Lumalee. I don't know if anybody knows this guy or not. He's like a little uh, kind of glowing star. And uh, he's been captured by Bowser. Some of you don't know what Super Mario Brothers is. He's like, I don't know who Bowser is, but Bowser's the bad guy, okay? And uh, so Lumalee's been captured by Bowser. And you um, see this scene where Lumalee's in the prison. The prison is like a, 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 a lake of lava with all these like cages hanging over it. And then, like, all the prisoners are in, like, individual cages. And Lumalee's in one of these cages. And then Luigi, one of the main characters, gets captured by Bowser and put into the prison in one of these cages. And so they're all hanging there in these cages. And, and Luigi's like, there must be a way out of here. And then Lumalee starts to talk. And Lumalee is, like, super cute. And he sounds super cute, like a tiny little kid talking or something, you know. And, uh, but everything Lumalee says is discouraging. Like he looks cute and his voice sounds cute, but all the words coming out of his mouth are like life-sucking, okay? And in case you haven't seen the movie, I'm going to show it to you. Here's 30 seconds of your life you'll never get back. But he is super cute. He sounds super cute, but everything he says is like uh, super discouraging. He tells Luigi there's no way out. There's only death to look forward to. I mean, he's like pretty like disheartening if you listen to Lumily talk. And so... Uh, but I don't want you to come into church and experience that. Now, sometimes you come into church, and this is kind of the problem. This is why um, people's view of church folk is not so good. Because sometimes we look the part, and, and we might even sound a little cute about the things we say. But really, we're life suckers. We're sucking life out of the world. We're, we're draining people. We're not, we're not building people. And the reason for that is because we're not following God's plan for what it's supposed to be like in church. So if you were here last week, we kind of talked about Peter's first sermon in a church service, and 3,000 people decided to follow Jesus. So now the church is 3,120 people strong. This is the size of the church, and that's all that there is in the church, and it's just this one church at Jerusalem. And today what we're going to be looking at is like, what'd they do next? What'd they do next? And, and I hope we'll be able to look at that and be like, that's kind of what we should be doing. I was thinking about a quote this week from 
uh, a guy from back when I was a kid, but it was at the beginning of a DC Talk song, so that's why I got it memorized. His name's Brennan Manning. It'll be on the screen for you, I think. And he said, the single, greatest single cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips but walk out the doors and deny him by their lifestyle. That is what an unbelieving world finds simply unbelievable. And that's true. You come into our church and it's like people see us in our kind of church dress and our church talk and then they go out of here and they see us on Monday and we're living this totally different life. It doesn't look anything like our Sunday morning life. And on Sunday morning, we're like, good to see you, brother. Amen. More blessed than I deserved. And on Monday morning, we're cussing them out at the office. And on Tuesday night, we're beating our kids. And on Wednesday night, we're doing drugs. And on Thursday night, we're going out to the bar and getting hammered. And on Friday night, we're watching absolute filth in our home. And on Saturday, we're just laying around being super lazy. We haven't talked to our neighbors in a year. We haven't been kind to anybody. We haven't talked to anybody about our faith. But we keep showing up at some building on Sunday morning and thinking that's what church is supposed to be. And the world looks at that and they think like, if that's what Christianity is, I don't really need something else to do with my life for an hour on Sunday mornings. Maybe I'll just stay home and watch a show. Why would I waste my time there? I'm no different than them. I live just like they live. It's something the world can't get past. So I want us to look at the first church and I just want to ask this simple question today. I'm going to ask it about three or four times. I promise it'll be the question I ask at the very end too. But I want you to ask it of yourself, kind of a rhetorical, reflective question. Does this describe your church experience? Is, this your, is the experience those 3,100 plus Christians had at the first church, is it what you would say describes your experience in church? And if it is, then we're going to be like, well, why not? Why not? What's keeping us from it, okay? So that's the question we're going to ask. Let me read it to you first, then we'll talk about it together. It's in Acts chapter 2, starting in verse 42. Let me read it to you. All the believers devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to sharing in meals, including the Lord's Supper, and to prayer. A deep sense of awe came over them all, and the apostles performed many miraculous signs and wonders. And all the believers met together in one place and shared everything they had. They sold their property and possessions and shared the money with those in need. They worshiped together at the temple each day, met in homes for the Lord's Supper, and shared their meals with great joy and generosity, all the while praising God and enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. All right. So maybe that was a lot for you, just kind of one paragraph. You can go back and read it on your own sometime if you want. But here's what I did this week. I made a list. I went through that passage, and I made a list of all the things those Christians were doing. Okay, All the things you could see them doing, all the things they were participating in, all the actions they were taking on the outside that the outside world could observe. Can I just share that list with you? You're going to have to write fast. You're going to write this down. You might want to snap a picture if you want, but... But here's the list. You ready? In verse 42, they were studying God's word together. And, and just keep your eye out for any kind of words or phrases or thoughts that seem to like be important or repeat themselves over and over. So in verse 42, they studied God's word together. In verses 42 and verse 47, it said they spent lots of time together. In verses 42 and 46, it says they shared meals together. 
Verses 42 and 46, it said they took communion together. In verse 42, it said they prayed together. In verse 44, it said they shared their resources with each other. That's the first six. I got six more. Is that okay? But here's the first six. I'm stalling for the note takers because that's going to go to another screen in just a second. But so far, how are we doing? Like, does that describe your church experience so far? Do you spend a lot of time with the other believers? Do you share meals uh, in each other's homes together? Are you studying God's word together? Are you praying together? Do you, would you say you spend lots of time together with the other believers? Or is this just like a one-hour show on Sunday morning? I mean, if you have to raise your feet, put on boots, I'm sorry. I know it's a little like, maybe it's offensive, I don't know. But this is what they did. Like, this is what this church did. Here's the rest of the things they did, right? So they met together regularly in one place. In verse 44 and verse 46, it said they worshiped together daily. In verse 45, it said they used their money to serve each other's needs. In verse 46, it says they met together in each other's houses. In verse 47, it says they came together to give God praise. And in verse 47, it also said they enjoyed authentic community. Now, I kind of reworded those phrases just to kind of make them fit on the screen a little better. I didn't write them down exactly word for word. But you can go back and look for those in those verses if you want. They're all there. How are we doing now? Like, is this still your church experience? Meet together regularly in one place? You worship God together daily? Using your money to serve each other's needs? Going to each other's houses, having people into your house who are believers? Praising God together, enjoying authentic community? I know it said, I read in there like where they sold their homes. I just want to like double, like kind of explain some teaching just for a second. It doesn't really have too much to do with today. I just want to make sure we're on the same page. I know it says they sold their homes, all their possessions, they shared. That isn't some form of like Christian communism. I'm not telling you guys to go sell your house and give all the money to somebody else in our church. Definitely not telling you to give it to me, right? Any preacher that's up front like telling you to sell your house and give them the money, just leave. Just like slowly exit, stage left, you know. And the reason I know that is because in verse 46, then it says they were meeting each day in other people's homes. So obviously everybody in the church didn't sell their house. They were still meeting in each other's homes. So, but some people did. Some people did sell their houses, sell all their stuff, and they used it to serve the needs of the people in their church. It wasn't that they were creating some kind of socialistic society where they just pooled all their resources and shared it with everybody in the church. It was more the idea that like, they didn't consider anything to be theirs anymore. They just were like overflowing in this great desire to help everybody else in the group. It was coming out of them in extravagant, extreme ways where they were taking like radical steps to help meet somebody else's need in the group. And I just ask again, like, is that what your church experience looks like? Taking radical, extravagant steps to help the needs of other people in the group. When was the last time anybody from your church, whether you go here or you're visiting, you go somewhere else, or maybe it's your first time here, your 200th time here, I don't know, but when was the last time you invited some other believers into your house? You don't understand, my house is too messy. My house isn't big enough. I don't, I'm not a very good cook. I get all the reasons. 
I hear all those reasons. I'm just telling you, this is what the first church looked like. You don't understand. I, I can't. I don't have a house to sell and help other people with their needs. I don't have a dime to give to help somebody else with their needs. I get it. I got the same problems you got. I'm just reading you what the first church was like. This is what they looked like. This is what was happening on the outside. And as I read through that passage over and over again, the word that kept like popping into my head as I was trying to describe all these things that they were doing with and for each other was the word together. I don't know if you caught that in the things I wrote there. It was like they kept doing everything together. They were eating together, worshiping together, meeting together, praying together, serving together. They were doing all these things together. And the Bible has this word that it uses to describe that sense of togetherness. It's the word unity. Unity. They were united. Remember that from a couple weeks ago? They were united. And as I read through all these things the early church, the first church was doing, I couldn't help but think to myself, like, man, there was nobody out there on an island doing it all by themselves. They were all connected. They were all eager and, and, and desiring to like help the other people in the group with whatever it took. They wanted to be close to each other. They wanted to spend time together. They wanted to sing together. They wanted to pray together. They wanted to serve each other. They wanted to learn God's word together. This is what they were doing on the outside. Is that what your church experience looks like? I wonder. Or is it something you've made up that sounds good, it makes you feel good, but isn't actually what the first church was even doing? And I wrote down in my notes that there's so many people that are looking from their church for a sensation, but they're not willing to submit their will. They want to come in and they want the tingle on their spine and the warm fuzzy in their heart, but they don't want to surrender anything about themselves to Jesus' plan. They just want to feel something. And I get that. Like, we kind of want that for you. Like, when you come through the doors for the first time, and we want you to have, like, a great experience. We want you to feel some warm fuzzies of God's grace. We want you to experience some community and, fi and family feel. We, we, I get that. But at some point, like, where's the, I'm just going to do it Jesus' way, surrender? It isn't how God describes his church in the Bible where you come week after week and some gifted person stands up front and tells you a cool story that makes you feel good. And then like a well-polished band gets up and crushes it and gives you that tingle feeling on your spine. That isn't what church is described like in the Bible. There's this story in the Old Testament, 1 Samuel, you can look the whole story up on your own sometime if you want, but King Saul um, is told by God to go into battle and destroy this other nation. He says, this other nation's been wicked, and I want you to go and utterly destroy them, the text says. I want you to wipe them off the face of the planet. Listen, men, women, children, livestock, everything. Wipe them out. And Saul takes his army, and he goes in and he defeats this other nation, but he doesn't wipe them all out. He keeps their king alive. Puts the king in shackles and brings him back home as a trophy. As a trophy. He lets all of his men run into the city where they were fighting. 
and plunder it and bring home the best of the livestock, the best of all the riches and stuff that place had to offer. And Samuel the prophet shows up to confront the king. He says, why didn't you obey God's command to go and wipe everything off the face of the earth? Why did you save some? Why didn't you obey? And Saul's response is so interesting. It's so like us today. This is what he said. You ready? He said, I did obey him. I did obey him. And you're reading the text and you're like, no, no, you didn't. Like I just read it like a chapter earlier where God was like, go in there and wipe them out. Don't leave any living thing alive. Yet I can hear the king crying in a prison cell. Yet I hear the animals outside that you brought back. What? And then he says, oh, no, no. I brought the king back just to, so everyone would know we obeyed the Lord. And I brought the livestock back so we could offer some sacrifices to God and celebrate the great victory. But that isn't what God said to do. But he was 100% convinced he had done the right thing anyhow. And listen to what Samuel says to him in response to that. In verse 22 of chapter 15, Samuel replied, What is more pleasing to the Lord, your burnt offerings and sacrifices or your obedience to his voice? Listen, obedience is better than sacrifice. Now we read that today and we think, that's saying like sacrifice, like giving up something of myself. That's not what was going on here. What was going on was he had captured these animals and was going to sacrifice them to the Lord as worship. And what Samuel is saying is the kind of worship God wants is obedience. Not some made up thing that you decide he should get more than what he told you to do. Not that sacrifice. He doesn't want you to make up your own faith. He doesn't want you to make up your own church. He wants you to obey him. Isn't obedience better than sacrifice? And submission is better than offering the fat of rams. Now listen to verse 23. He says, Rebellion is as sinful as witchcraft, and stubbornness is as bad as worshiping idols. Now here's the thing. We don't have a whole lot of people in our church that are practicing Wicca. I know it. I'm sure of it. We don't have a lot of witches in our church. We don't got a lot of people in here going home and bowing down in their living room to a golden calf. I get it. We probably do have some idol worship. Probably not that kind of idol worship. We don't have a lot of people who are practicing witchcraft and, and believing in and worshiping false gods or idols. But we do have a lot of rebellious, stubborn people. And Samuel lets us know it's the same thing. You might as well be going home and praying to a different God. You might as well be going home and trying to cast some spell on your neighbor. You're no different if you're so stubborn you won't do it God's way. And then you, and then you convince yourself it is God's way, even though it's opposite of what he said to do. And so week after week, people go into churches all over our country and all over our world, and they sit there super quiet, and they don't praise. They keep their wallet closed up real tight, and they don't give. They budget their time just for themselves, and they don't serve. People into my house, no, I don't got time for that. I don't got the space for that. I don't even like those people. Do you know how offensive they are to me? They don't think like me. They don't dress like me. They don't smell like me. 
They don't have, I don't have space in my life for them. And so their life looks nothing like what God describes the church as looking. And yet they think it's all okay because they walk through a couple double doors on Sunday morning with their nice clothes on and they sit and listen quietly. And yet that has nothing to do with church in the Bible. But we've convinced ourselves it's okay. We're Saul saying to God, I have obeyed, Lord. I have obeyed because I picked and chosen the things I kind of like and I crushed those. Those other things, like can't we just skip some of those things I'm uncomfortable with? Praying together with other people. I don't speak so well in front of other people. I haven't been a Christian very long. I don't know how to pray. I might be embarrassed. Giving my money, don't you know how broke I am? Serving, what could I do? I can't commit because I might want to skip next week. And yet we convince ourselves like our church experience is this church experience. Is it? Is this your church experience? Now here's the thing about it. What was happening in that passage was not just happening on the outside. I don't know if you heard that or not, but there was some stuff happening on the inside too. I, I kind of found four things in that passage that it said were happening on the inside of all these believers. Can I just show you what the four of them are? Here's the first one. It was in verse 42. It said they were devoted did you see that? They were devoted to the Jesus way, to the apostles' teaching, to prayer, to fellowship, all these things. They were devoted to it. The Greek word there for devoted is literally means to be steadfastly continuing. In other words, it had like kind of this implication of like when the going got tough, they kept going. Committed. In verse 43, it said there was a deep sense of awe, amazement, wonder over what God was doing throughout them and among them. In verse 46, it said they were overcome or filled with great joy. They had great joy about being connected with each other. And then in verse 46, it also said they had generosity that was overflowing in this deep desire to give to each other. Generosity. So look at those four things just for a second. Devoted, deep sense of awe, great joy, generosity. And I ask you, are those four words what describes what's going on on the inside of you when you come to church? Because I think for most people, when we walk through the doors of a church, we're not even thinking about those things. At best, we're thinking like, man, I hope I learned something today. I hope I have a good worship experience. I hope I get there early enough to get some good breakfast. hope I can get out of here in time to watch the game I want to see. Are we thinking like, man, how can I get more committed to these folks? How can I be more committed to God and what he wants me to do? Man, look around at what God is doing. I love it. I just love being around all these people. Can't wait to give them more of what I've got. Is that kind of what's going on on the inside of you when you come in? For most people, they go into a church and it's like a drudgery, an obligation, a, another item just to check off their list. But the word that kept popping into my mind when I looked at these four things throughout the week was the word love. And I thought to myself, like, man, they were full of love. They had this love for God and they had a love for one another. Like you can't help but read those six verses I read you earlier and not see that they were packed full of love. 
It was taking root in their heart and it was spilling out in action. Actions for God and actions for one another. And so I ask you, is that what marks your church experience? The word love? Do you love Jesus? Do you love his church? Are you committed to it even when the going gets tough? Are you wowed by the opportunity God has put in front of you to be part of his church? Is there joy bubbling up in your soul about the Christian community around you? Does everything inside of you scream, I just love being generous with my time, all my talents, and my treasure? And I just kind of wrote down in my notes for this one, like, is it possible that you've never really liked church because you've never really loved church? And yet you've convinced yourself you're kind of doing it the right way? So I ask you again, is this what describes your church experience? There was something else that stood out to me throughout the whole passage as I was reading through it this week. And it was this idea of my rights. And I couldn't help but notice how it seemed like they had all given up all their rights. And they were just concerned about everybody else, God included. Nobody was holding on to their own rights or talking about how different they were or how offended they were at anybody else. They had given all that. They had died to that. Like Paul wrote in Galatians 2.20 when he said, my old self has been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Is that what they sounded like? So I live in this earthly body by trusting in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what they were living like. They had died to all their rights. And yet so easily today, somebody looks at you. I know what it was. I remembered what it was two days ago. Somebody was like, you're just not friendly enough. They told me the reason our church isn't growing big enough is because I'm not friendly enough. I wanted to smack him in the face. That would have been friendly though. So I didn't do that. But I was like, listen, if the reason our church, I don't know if I'm not friendly enough to you, my apologies, I guess. <laughs> Sorry. I just want you to know I'm giving it all I got for Jesus. All right. The person that told me that wasn't the person that said it. It was somebody else. I told them to go back and tell them to stop gossiping about me too. But they probably won't do that either. But anyway, I just got hammered this week. I was like, man, it keeps sucking life out of me. I was like, what if our church was just packed with people who weren't so worried about how offended they were, but was way more worried about doing and obeying the things Jesus said to do? What if? What if we just crucified ourselves? And just cared about doing what Jesus told us to do as a church. Gave up all of our rights. And started just leveraging everything we are to reach people for Jesus. I mean, I've heard it all. Like, you should stand at the door and greet everybody because it's rude if you don't. Like, okay, I, I don't. I'm sorry. I just don't do that. It's not my thing. I, I got some, somebody else out there greeting you. I have to greet you? Like, what? That you should visit everybody in the church. But visit everybody in the church? I barely got time to visit my family. <laughs> it's like, visit everybody in the church. Why don't you go visit your own neighbor? You know what I mean? Like, I was leafing through the Bible for the, where the pastor's supposed to go see everybody at their house spot. I couldn't find it. But it's just like, man, quit hammering me. Like, let's just all obey Jesus. And give up our rights and stop being so sensitive and easily offended. Stop making this experience all about ourselves. And stop, start making it about a unity and love instead. They were walking by faith, not by sight, not by their bank account, not by their position, not by their selfishness, not by their experiences. They were walking 
by faith. They were just obeying and they were doing all of it with gladness in their heart. I know this isn't like the warm fuzzy you expected to get when you came in. It isn't exactly what you wanted to hear. But so many people are walking through the doors of a church just looking for an experience. And like I said before, we want that for you. But at some point, you have to come to the realization that that isn't what church is about. And if the building burned down tomorrow, and if I died tonight, there should still be a church. Because it isn't about one guy preaching the word to all the listeners. And it isn't about a band entertaining you. And it isn't about a building that we surround ourselves with. It's about us obeying God's instructions. It's about us being generous, being wowed by his greatness, being filled with great joy to be around each other, to inviting people into our homes, to learning God's word together, to praying with each other. Are we doing those things or are we convincing ourselves we're doing it the right way? It's this whole other level of church experience. Unity and love. Jesus talked about it this whole series about that time when Jesus left earth and there was 10 days in between until he sent the Holy Spirit right before Jesus left his followers. Let me read you something he said to him in John chapter 13, starting in verse 33. This is what he said to him right before he left. Dear children, I will be with you only a little longer. So now I'm giving you a new commandment. Love each other just as I have loved you. You should love each other. And I've shared with our church before the new commandment there is not to love each other. Loving other people had been around for thousands of years. Jesus wasn't bringing that to the scene. The new commandment was that they would start loving each other the same way he loved them. The way he loved them was like self-sacrificially, not looking for his own gain, giving up himself even to the point of death. He loved them. That's the new commandment. And then in verse 35, he says, your love for one another like that will prove to the world that you are my disciples. See, the single greatest cause of atheism in the world today is Christians who acknowledge Jesus with their lips, but then walk out the doors and deny him by the way they live. And the world can't accept that. And Jesus told us it was going to be like that. He said they would know you're my disciples by the way you love each other. And so I ask you again, does this describe your church experience? Or is it something different? Are you hyper-focused on your rights or on loving other people? Because you can't do both at the same time. Is this your church experience? And if it isn't, why? Why isn't it? I thought about that this week, and I can only think of two reasons. Maybe there's more. But I can only think of two reasons. If this experience that they just described from Acts 2 isn't your church experience, I could only think of two reasons why it wouldn't be. Now, maybe, like I said, if you think of another one, you can tell me later. But here's what I got. The first one is this. Maybe your church doesn't offer you that chance. And I want you to know, like, if you're here and you feel like we don't offer you the opportunity to live out this kind of church life, go somewhere else. I would love for you to leave. I, I, I will miss you, like I like you, but I want you to follow Jesus. So if you think you're in a church that doesn't offer you the opportunity to get together and pray with each other, go somewhere else. If you think you're in a church that isn't concerned about you getting together and learning God's word as a group and as a family, you should go somewhere that does. 
if you think you're in a church that isn't interested in meeting in each other's homes, sharing meals together, living life connected, if you think you're in a church that isn't interested in pooling all of our resources to meet great needs and do great things for Jesus, you should leave. Don't put up with us because we're not the real church if we're not doing those things. That's the one reason I could think of. The other reason I could think of, and I don't want to like get in on your business today, but the other reason I could think of is like, maybe it's you. Maybe you're so busy pointing out all the specks in other people's eyes that you can't see the logs sticking out of your own eye. Maybe you're so concerned about that person didn't shake my hand this morning or that person didn't do anything for me or that person said something about me behind my back or they didn't invite me to this or I just saw the way they looked at me from across the room. I quit. And I'm going to take my ball and go home. Because they don't think like me and they don't even like me and they don't treat me right. They're super selfish, and I know they're not giving, and I know they're not, they're not as involved as I am. Don't they know who I am at this church? And I have this role, and I'm in this group. And, and you're so busy, like, getting focused on how screwed up everybody else is that you can't even see how screwed up you are. Maybe. I don't know. But those are the only two things I could think of. I want you to know, as the pastor here, like, I'm trying to be as intentional as I can at us providing all those things that the Acts 2 church did. And so we're meeting together all the time to pray, to share meals, to live life connected, to pray together, to study God's word together, to serve one another. I've never been in a church that begs its people to serve more than this one, that begs its people to get connected to small groups and community like this one that gives people the opportunities to rally up and pray together every Sunday morning before church, every month at a restaurant, every time we start our church service, every time we end our church service, every time I meet with somebody, I'm like, can we pray before we leave? Let's pray together. Let's live out the Acts 2 mission and see if the world doesn't see us loving each other and think, man, they must really love Jesus. There must be something going on at that church. There must be some life at that church. When I go in there, they look super joyful. I would love it if everybody didn't look like this. But instead, everybody had a smile on their face, praising God out loud, giving Jesus every single ounce they got. I would love it. See, the health of a church is not determined by the quality of the pastor or the excellence of the band or how many volunteers you got in the kids' class. The health of a church is determined by the percentage of people there who are willing to obey Jesus' instructions. That's it. And so you have within your power the ability, because you get the same Holy Spirit they got, to start making a difference that will change the world. And it's just these 12 things I read you. The four things on the inside and the 12 things on the outside. So I ask you, you know you, what needs to change? What is it you need to start doing on the outside to be living out God's principles of togetherness and unity? What is it you need to start doing on the inside 
to start loving people the way you're supposed to love them? Who are you holding a grudge against that is keeping you bitter and keeping you from following God's instructions and you're convincing yourself you're doing the right thing because you don't know what they did to me. I don't know what they did to you, but I know they didn't drive any nails through your hands. I know they didn't shove a crown of thorns on your head and somehow he managed to forgive them. So who is it that you're allowed to hold that grudge against and sit on the sidelines looking like a grumpy poo-poo head instead of serving one another, loving one another, praying with one another, giving to one another, meeting with one another, inviting people into your life, who is it you're allowed to do that for? And then go to God and be like, I am obeying, Lord. Look at me, I showed up on Sunday. And God's like, what? I gave you specific instructions and you're just flipping me off and doing whatever you feel like doing and calling it faith. The church. We can change the world. It's God's plan to change the world. Or we can just do it like other people are doing it. We can just keep doing it the same way we've always done it. We can just keep looking grumpy, serving only ourselves, being stingy, only worried about our own quick fix, or if somebody's making me feel loved. Or we can double down on, I'm going to do it Jesus' way. I'm going to get devoted. I'm going to get filled with joy. I'm going to start being generous. I'm going to stand in awe at the things God is doing around me. I'm going to do it Jesus' way. You heard the truth. You heard the truth. I just read it to you. It's Jesus' truth. It's not made up. It's what the church looked like. What step of faith do you need to take today? Look, if you're here and you're not a believer, you're not a follower of Jesus, I just want you to know for me, I'm super sorry. I'm super sorry that we've treated you like garbage over the years. That we've been phony and fake that we've acted like we're better than you. I'm sorry for that, but that's not Jesus. Don't let your offense at Christians keep you from Jesus. He wants to save you. He wants to give you the Holy Spirit. He wants to transform your life and make you a brand new creation. And so if you're here today, you've never decided to follow Jesus, this can be the moment. All you gotta do is tell him, hey, save me, and he will. I'll surrender my life to you. And every minute forward, I just start following his instructions. That's it. That's the gospel. And Jesus will save you. He will be your Lord. He will empower you. If you're here today and you're already a believer, what is it you need to do to be more unified and to start loving people better? I love how this passage ends in verse 47. He writes, all the while praising God, enjoying the goodwill of all the people. And each day the Lord added to their fellowship those who were being saved. It's not on us to add anybody to the group. Jesus is gonna add them. All the responsibility for the outcome is on God. I'm just responsible to obey. He'll take care of the outcome. You got it? Let's be that kind of church. What if we were a church where 100% of the believers were living their life, experiencing their church just like this? What kind of difference would we make in McCurry County? Dear Heavenly Father, thank you for our church. I know we we're a little hard on everybody today, God. There was a lot of truth, maybe a little light on the grace today. But God, would you reassure the believers in the room that you love them, that you are with them, that your Holy Spirit has empowered them? Would you reassure us that you love us no matter how many times we messed up and you are the God of second, third, and 800th chances? But God, would you not let us rest until we change what needs to be changed in our life? 
until we start being generous, until we start choosing joy, until we start getting committed and devoted, even when the going gets tough, until we start looking around and recognizing all the great things you are doing. God, would you not let us rest until we change what it takes to be obedient to you. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Wow, we hope that encouraged you and will push you to know Jesus better. There's no better life than the life that is completely dependent on God. Be sure to check back each week for new podcasts from 3SC.